0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, July 1st, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Western Digital MyBook users suddenly find their drives totally wiped as hackers discover an exploit. Even Mac users are a little curious about Microsoft's new Windows 11 operating system. How to identify and avoid calendar spam. Plus, how to manage your kids' app store subscriptions and monitor their in-app and online shopping. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long.
1: Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. I saw that there's some new computer gizmo thingies that were announced last week. It's this thing, what do they call it? The the number 11-something, right? Oh, you're, are you talking about that that PC operating system? That PC operating system, indeed. Windows. Windows, Windows 11. Yes. Is that exciting or
2: what? Oh, <laughs> well, people on Twitter were certainly getting excited about this last week. I saw actually that macOS was trending on Twitter, and I thought, oh, I'm going to check that out. What's going on? And it was everybody talking about how Windows 11 was ripping off features from macOS, OS people were talking about how windows is copying the name because of course mac os finally went from 10 to 11 and
1: so now windows has to go from 10 to 11 but where would they uh, go after 10 if they <laughs> would they change to something else 10.5 10, or so when
2: when windows 10 came out they skipped over 9 remember so they they went directly from windows 8 to windows 10 because well there were some Supposed technical reasons why they might have done that. But we all really know that they were just trying to get to 10 because macOS had been on 10 for ages. And they didn't want to be still behind in numbers, right? That sounds bad. By the way, I think this is why Chrome... Uh, is up to, gosh, what are they up to now? 86. 86, yeah. My my Chrome something like that. My, my Microsoft Edge, which is based on Chromium and uh, and the same thing that Chrome is based on, is up to 93
1: I think right now on the developer yeah. Canary version. Well, let me tell you, I would rather we have whole number versions than dot versions. So it's like 1.2.3.4 that's just too complicated. Just give them a whole number. Don't bother with the little incremental things. Yeah. But getting back to- to Windows 11. So they also centered the taskbar at the bottom of the screen.
2: So it's more like the dock, which is centered in the middle and bottom of the screen.
1: But you can put it to the left if you want.
2: You can still put it back to the left if you want to go old school. And I think the biggest thing where they sort of copied Apple was you can now well once windows 11 is released you'll be able to run mobile apps on the desktop that's really interesting obviously instead of ios apps this is going to be android apps that you'll be able to run on your windows pc that's actually kind of interesting because there's a lot of uh, android apps out there uh, just like there's a lot of ios apps and now being able to run those on the desktop Um, regardless of whether you're on a Mac or a PC. um, That's
1: kind of uh, of a big feature, I think. Not only can you use Android apps, but they're going to have what they're calling Intel Bridge technology so Android apps can work on Intel processors. Now, there is a version of Windows 10 for ARM that's available as a preview version. I'm using this with Parallels Desktop to run a virtual machine on my Mac, on my M1 Mac, which is an ARM-based processor. So clearly, they're making Windows for ARM. It's going to be a thing. Windows 11 for ARM will be a thing, but you will still be able to use Android apps if you have an Intel processor Windows. Now, there's a problem that a lot of, a lot of CPs won't be able to run Windows 11. A lot of Windows 10 compatible PCs won't be able to run. It requires at least a dual core one gigahertz CPU, one gigahertz, Mm-hmm. Four gigabytes of RAM, four gigabytes of RAM, right? <laughs> and 64 gigabytes of storage. Sixty, the minimum is 64 gigabytes yeah. of storage. So, to, to be fair, a lot of cheap laptops are very low spec, and Windows 10 has been around for many years. So, this is—it's not surprising that there is going to be some sort of a system requirement limit like that.
2: Yeah, honestly, I, I think that a lot of um, the press is making too big of a deal about this, uh, about how Windows 11 is going to you know have higher system requirements. Microsoft system requirements have always been, honestly, if we're really being honest, it's way too low yeah. <laughs> for what the operating system actually you know how it's going to perform well. So the the big difference between Microsoft and Apple here is that Microsoft. Doesn't make money off of hardware sales, not really. I mean, they have the Surface line, but the the bulk of their money from Windows is uh, PC manufacturers paying Microsoft to put Windows on their PCs that they're selling. So, um, whereas with Apple, it they really want you to push you to newer hardware. So, I mean, for, for a lot of reasons. Uh, it makes more sense for Apple to push you to newer hardware. They also want you to have a really good user experience. And on the Microsoft side, they just want to sell their operating system regardless of how old your PC is. Because, you know, if you've got a 10-year-old PC, that still meets these requirements, to be honest. Very easily meets these requirements. Uh, A dual-core processor, my goodness. Like, they they had... um, Core 2 Duos were you know, some of the early Intel Macs uh, in like 2007. So like dual core processors have been around for a very, very long time.
1: A couple of things I note, it'll be a free upgrade. So that's interesting. Windows 11 Home will require a Microsoft account. Apparently, you need both an internet connection and a Microsoft account during initial setup. We're going to link to Paul Thurot's website, thurot.com, where he's got an article with a bunch of bullet points about the main features. And he's complaining about this. He says, given that Home is the mainstream Windows version and Microsoft's history with this kind of thing of having to phone Home to set up a computer, you don't have to do that with Macs ever, but you do have to do that with an iPhone. You have to... It has to connect to a network to be authorized right yeah, that is a fair point. I actually hadn't really considered
2: that in the context of um, Apple devices, but yeah, you do have to do that with an iphone that's a, that's that's a fair fair observation um, it, it's a bit different right I mean if you're setting up a, a a pc i I wouldn't necessarily expect that you would need to be online uh, you know already like at the setup time. That seems a little odd, but
1: I don't know. I, I guess... It's probably to verify licenses. Now, when you set up a Mac, they do ask you to log into your iCloud account pretty quickly, You, but you can skip it. You mm-hmm. don't have to do it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Passwordless. It's going to be passwordless. And we were talking about this before the show. You'll be able to log in with either a PIN, a fingerprint, or facial recognition, but isn't a PIN like a password? Yeah. So what's the difference? Maybe well, it's digits only. And if it's digits only, that seems to be less secure than a proper password? Because if someone knows it's it's digits only, then it'll be easier to crack with a brute
2: force attack. There's more that we could say about Windows 11. Obviously, this is the Intego Mac podcast, so we're not really focused on that. But uh, if any listeners are interested, first of all, if you guys use Windows too, I'd be curious to know about that. And if you want to hear more about comparisons between Windows 11 and macOS, or if you want to hear more about security features in Windows 11, of course you can run Windows on a Mac as well. So if you want to hear more about that, drop us a line at podcast at intigo.com.
1: Okay. We've got a couple of Google stories. The first one, they're working on an HTTPS only mode for Chrome. This isn't really a big deal though, is it? I feel like most websites
2: are HTTPS for all of their content now because of browsers have been kind of harassing you for a long time now. Even if you're loading images over HTTP, you'll often, it, depending on the browser, but you'll often get some sort of warning telling you that some content on this page is not secure. It's, so it's not too big of a surprise to see that Google is uh, working on this fully HTTPS-only mode. It's it's a nice thing because if you're ever using a public Wi-Fi network, and you want to make sure that nothing that you're doing is going to be intercepted by, you know, other people on that network, um, HTTPS is a is a good place to start. I would still suggest using a VPN when you're on a public network, but I like the idea of having an HTTPS-only mode for your browser.
1: Okay. For this article, I had to check the date. Google to require two-factor authentication and a physical address for Android app developers. Really? Really? How could they allow? How could they accept app developers without a physical address? Now, here's here's what I think, just from a business point of view. As a business, they have to be able to invoice customers, so they need an address. And while it's not expensive, it's twenty five dollars for a lifetime developer account on Google Play. They still have to somehow bill that. They're not going to just provide. They're not just gonna take a, a gift card to pay for that anonymously, but to, to the fact that they need a physical address now and they didn't need it before is a bit surprising. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting to me about this, more so than
2: the physical address, is just that it took Google this long to require two-factor authentication as a requirement for a developer account. Because if you think about it, if if somebody can break into a developer's account they can add malware to a legitimate app that's already established in the store. And, you know, um, I was looking up to see, I knew it had been at least a couple of years since Apple had started requiring this for app store developers. And sure enough, it was actually February, 2019, when Apple started requiring two factor authentication for developer accounts, even that I was kind of surprised even at that time that, this already hadn't been in place because that's such an important account. Um, so at least it, we can at least say that good job Google for finally doing this. Um, it would have been nice if you'd done this a long time ago, but at least
1: they're doing it now. Okay, so here's a really weird story. A carrier was caught injecting an SMS ad into Google verification code message. So this is a two-factor authentication text message you get with a six-digit code. And so someone posted on Twitter. We're going to link to an article on nine to five Google. Someone posted on Twitter a screenshot. This is your Google verification code. By the way, SMS ad. Keep the hackers at bay. Get a VPN today. Pretty good slogan, by the (laughs) way. I like that. It's got good good rhyming there, but. Seriously, can carriers inject things into text messages? Yeah, actually, as we've talked about before, text messages
2: are not actually
1: secure. Well, that that they're not secure is one thing, but that carriers will put ads in text messages. I, I do find that a bit surprising. Uh,
2: and of course, this is not one of the carriers in the US or, or UK. This was a, a carrier in Australia, I believe. And it's not impossible clearly Uh, it it can be done Uh, SMS's are sent in plain text and so the carrier can insert whatever they want Um, it's very odd for them to do this in this type of a message or really any message to be honest um, and I don't know the full circumstances uh, surrounding this. Maybe there's some option with this particular carrier where they allow you to have free unlimited text messaging. If you opt into this, you know, getting advertisements in your text messages. I don't know if it's something like that, but um, in any case, this is a bit concerning um because now it's going to be uh, at least on that particular carrier it's going to be difficult for some people to determine what actually came from the source that they're you know that the message apparently is coming from and what came as an advertisement that's tacked onto it and i suppose if they're doing this on every message or on a regular basis on many text messages if if you use that carrier, you're probably going to get used to
1: it, I suppose, and sort of expect that. But no, no, I can't get used to that. <laughs> my text messages are my text messages. Can you imagine someone opening your mail and putting an ad inside? Or or when you get a postcard from someone on vacation, as like a, a little sticker on top of it with an ad. Come on, that's just, that's terrible. It is. Yeah, it's, it's pretty messed up. Th- there are limits to this sort uh, of stuff. Well, remember, we've actually talked about this before
2: that Uh, Internet service providers, even here in the United States, have been caught injecting code into Web pages delivered over HTTP. So that, that's not, you know, it, it, it's fairly uncommon these days that you'll go to a website that's not offered over HTTPS by default, but it does still happen. And some ISPs actually do exploit that. They'll either insert their own advertisements, they'll swap out ads. Um, in, in my particular case, when I Personally observed this several years ago. Um, the ISP that I was using at the time was giving me a notification that I was coming close to my bandwidth cap for um, for the month and or for the, for that billing cycle. And so I needed to be careful, or I might go over. And I was like, "You're kidding me! You just actually modified a web page that was coming to me. How how messed up is that? That's really not right." By the way, this is a good reason to be using a VPN on a desktop, because uh, if you were using a VPN, then your ISP can't inject code into your HTTP-delivered web pages.
1: Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk
0: about iCloud Calendar Spam, in-app purchases, and more. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts.
1: Okay, so here's an interesting story that came up last week. And I first noticed this on Twitter that one or two people were complaining about this. And it turns out that a bunch of people who were using a WD MyBook Live, this is a Western digital hard drive. It's kind of like a network-attached storage device that connects to the Internet. They woke up to find their data deleted. Apparently, some malicious people took advantage of a vulnerability and a bug to basically just delete data on the devices of a whole bunch of users. The, what, what I found interesting is just around when this happened, I was looking into using the personal cloud feature on my NAS which I find interesting. I think we'll talk about personal cloud sometime in the future, but it's a way to have data that's on your own device instead of someone else's device. And now I'm thinking, well, how vulnerable is my NAS? It's not a WD. This is a combination of real malice and some pretty stupid stuff on the part of Western Digital's developers.
2: Yeah. So, uh, by the way, NAS, we're talking about network-attached storage devices. Um, so th- this would be something that you can plug into your network that provides uh, maybe a few terabytes of storage so that you can have a place to back up to or maybe store some really large files on your network or things like that. Um, and so these are fairly common. Uh, and Western Digital's my book um line of products has actually been around for many years. I had one of them many years ago, yeah. Yeah, and um, so to see a major company having a big um, vulnerability like this that opens up their customers to having their data stolen or or wiped um, is a really big issue. And if we have any listeners, by the way, that are using one of these MyBook devices, you definitely want to read this article and, and learn more about it. Make sure that
1: um, is the firmware user upgradable? These devices run operating systems. They're a stripped-down version of Linux, and each manufacturer has their own version of it. You update the operating system as with any other operating system. On my device, I get email alerts when there's a new update available, because I don't go to log into my device very often. You administer it from a web page. can next to the device on your network, but if I'm going to put files on it, I just mount it in the Finder as a network volume, so it's very rare that I'll go to check if there are updates, so it's good to have a feature where you do get emails when you have updates that you need to apply. Right, right.
2: So make sure that you uh, are are getting those email alerts, and that you're not ignoring them because it's very important to make sure that you keep these devices up to date. As with any devices on your network, we've talked before about the the really extreme importance of keeping your router up to date, um, and your your Wi-Fi access points and things like that. Those devices are very, very important to the security of your home network. So make sure to keep those up to date and any other devices that you have
1: attached to your network, keep them up to date. Now, you mentioned that a lot of people use these for backups and I do backup some of my data to them, but I also use it to store my Plex library of videos. And I have a script set to sync from my NAS to my iMac. So when these devices get wiped, if you've got a script like that, It that's going to sync what's on one device to the other, it might delete everything on the other device. Uh, Depending on whether you have the kind of thing where it archives things, it files, it deletes, which is not uncommon. I almost want to say, if you have a NAS, you should also back up your NAS. You can do that. Most of them have USB ports in the back, and you can run some sort of a backup routine on the device to back up the hard drives into another hard drive. But then can someone remotely delete what's on that hard drive as well as what's internally on the thing, because the hard drive that's connected externally mounts differently than the hard drives that mount as part of the operating system. This is really confusing because when you know, when you realize how many devices like this are in use and not so much in, in the home, but for small businesses and larger businesses, because these don't just provide access to files on the premises, but you can get remote access as well. So, Uh, I I would kind of not want to have a WD device now anymore. And my guess is that all the other NAS manufacturers are checking very carefully to make sure that this can't happen. Yeah, or they should be. If they're not, (laughs) they definitely should be. Back in 2016, we wrote about iCloud calendar spam, and people were getting invitations to events which were spammy. Recently, something else has happened that people are... Somehow on websites, they're getting a dialogue that's offering them to subscribe to a calendar, which is full of spam. And my first thought when I heard about this is, well, yeah, if it says, do you want to subscribe to this calendar, then you're subscribing to a calendar. But this is so widespread that Apple actually published a video on YouTube explaining how to remove this calendar spam. So we've updated our 2016 article. We've kept the original material and we've expanded it a bit. And we're talking about what to do in this new situation. When I look at – so there's a tweet embedded in the article and, and there's a dialogue saying, add calendar subscription. Would you like to subscribe to the something calendar? Click OK to continue. What would prompt you to subscribe to a calendar? the The only things I could think of is I'm a fan of this sports team and I want to have a calendar of their games. But what else – what other kind of calendar would you subscribe to like that?
2: Yeah, well, that's actually what I was thinking of in particular, because uh, Little League often will do something like this. So if you've got kids in sports, they'll have a calendar for you know upcoming games. They'll have a calendar for practices and things like that that you'll want to subscribe to. And the tricky thing about this, um, as you read that, it might not have been clear that the click OK to continue is actually the name of this calendar, so it's it's got a deceptive name to try to trick you into thinking that you're supposed to click okay for whatever reason. And so, yeah, the actual name of the calendar is click okay to continue in this case. So it, it may just be that as you are browsing, you know, I don't know, maybe you go to some, some website and you find some search result that looks promising for whatever it is you're looking for, and you you uh, go to this page, and then it loads this dialog box um, offering to add a calendar subscription, and maybe they put something a little bit deceptive in there. It kind of tricks you into, into clicking on a, or tapping on OK, Now you're subscribed to this calendar in the calendar app. And it's very likely that the kinds of things that you'll see will be spam. Uh, In this particular example that we've got the screenshots of from this tweet, um, there are messages claiming that viruses have been found on your device and that you need to free your Apple device from nasties and clean it up. And then there's one that appears to be an Apple support alert and says your iPhone might
1: be hacked. Of course, Apple support definitely contacts people through calendar events. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's their main way of warning people <laughs> of problems. He's joking, of course. Yes, he's joking.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the thing is that, again, like um – um This is the kind of thing where they like to prey on people who are not very tech savvy. They like to prey on elderly people who, you know, are using an iPhone because some, you know, one of their kids told them that they should be using this to communicate with them and things. And so you've got to be very careful um, and and not just assume that, oh, this is so dumb. Nobody would fall for this. Um, People actually do, unfortunately accidentally subscribe to these things, not knowing what they're doing. And then they don't know how to get rid of them. So we go through in detail how to get rid of this kind of spam. If you are seeing something like this, or you know, somebody who's got something like this going on on their device We've got all the details on how to get rid of it.
1: Okay, another article we have on the Mac Security blog is a parent's guide to in-app purchases on iOS, iPadOS, and macOS. Now, in-app purchases are incredibly common these days, and and I'm thinking back to the original days of the iOS App Store. They didn't have this. You didn't have subscriptions for apps. You didn't have in-app purchases. Uh, It took many years for Apple to realize that this is a real app economy. You get people addicted to a game, and they're going to just, oh, yes, buy more coins, buy more lives. i got to finish this level tonight. And... I guess adults should know how to manage their money if it's for themselves, but when your kids are using your account and it's so easy to spend 10 or 20 bucks with a couple of taps, you really need to know about how this works. Exactly. And so there are some things that you
2: can do as a parent to make sure that kids aren't purchasing things without your
1: permission and without your knowledge. In addition to in-app purchases, we have subscriptions now, and we'll link to an article, How to Manage iTunes Store and App Store Subscriptions. And there are more and more apps apps that are sold on a subscription basis. Now, I know a number of developers and they, they have reasons for doing this. First of all, Apple doesn't provide any trial versions of apps. You can only have a trial version if it's for a subscription. So you get seven days free or a month free and then the subscription comes in. They don't allow developers to offer discounted upgrades. So the, the, the sort of normal thing with computer software is if you brought Word version 5, you get 50% off on Word version 6, either forever or for the first couple of months. And you can't do that. And so developers find it difficult to continue to provide new features to users when users are never going to pay any more than that first time. So subscriptions have come in for a lot of apps. And there are a number of apps I have subscriptions to. I've mentioned Bear. It's a note-taking app. I believe it's $15 or $20 a year. And I have iPad, iOS, macOS apps, and, and that's fine for me. But there are lots of subscriptions to games, photo editing apps, photo filter apps. You often have things that are $10 a month or even $10 a week. So it's not just that they're subscriptions, but they're scammy subscriptions as well. Well, yeah,
2: exactly right. That's one of the, the tricks to the to navigating the app stores. you need to understand understand... understand that you know, just because an app is free to download doesn't mean that the actual app is really free to use. Because very often there are in-app purchases required to do more than just the really super basic functionality, or subscriptions required to get um, continual access to some of the, I would say, core functionality in some cases. Um, and so, but but as you say, this is this is the trick that developers have had to figure out to get around Apple's restrictions on not allowing demos or free trials uh this is their way around it and so you know apple sort of like forced developers into a corner almost if they want to do things like that then they got to play by apple's rules and so they kind of have to play these games um but then of course the less ethical developers are also going to be using the same techniques and they're going to use that sometimes to to kind of scam people unfortunately and Apple's not always very good at clearing these things out of the App Store.
1: Okay, link in the show notes. That's enough for this week. Next week, we're going to do a special Windows 11 deep dive, right, Josh? <laughs> if you guys are interested in it, we, we might do that. But... No, I'm not interested. <laughs> no, I'm not really interested. Okay, until next week, stay secure. All right, stay secure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, Intigo.com.